Hi everybody, my name is Dr Pete Finn and this is the COVID-19 and Democracy podcast. On the podcast today, I've got my departmental colleague, Josh Bullock. Josh is a senior lecturer in criminology and sociology and one of the co-authors of a Kingston University funded study called What Causes COVID-19 Vaccine Hesitancy? Ignorance and the Lack of Bliss in the United Kingdom. And this is, before we start, I should just say, quite excitingly for me, um, our 100th episode. So I'm not entirely sure how we managed to make it this far. Um, But um, thanks for listening, all these uh, dozens of episodes. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Pete, and congratulations on your 100th podcast milestone. (laughs) Cheers. I I feel like I should be cutting a ribbon or being given a prize or something. Yeah, we can do it virtually, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Josh, do you want to just introduce yourself to listeners? Yeah, hello. So, um, I'm, I'm Dr. Josh Bullock. As Pete said, I, I work at Kingston University. And I, I mainly teach across the Criminology and Sociology program. Um, I've been there for a few years now, and before that, I was a postdoctoral researcher. Um, yeah, so more recently, I've been working on COVID vaccine hesitancy, which is why I'm here. Okay, brilliant. And so beyond the particular paper and the work you've been doing around vaccine hesitancy and the pandemic, um, what are your kind of broader, longer term interests in terms of research and teaching? Yeah, so at, at Kingston, my teaching mainly revolves around the, the criminal justice system in England and Wales. So I look at modules concerning justice, but I also look at modules and, and research around true crime. So whether it's like the latest podcast, which has come out on true crime or some sort of crime series, which is uh, what everybody's talking about on Netflix. So I'm interested in how that consumes our understandings of um, how what we consume um, impacts our understandings of the criminal justice system. Uh, But my research is a a bit different to what I lecture in. So so my background is in the sociology of religion. Um, And in particular, I I research non-religious people, particularly younger non-religious people in, in Europe. Um, and I, I do this to try and find out more about what they believe in, uh, where they belong, and, and what they have a, a sense of connection to. Okay, brilliant. How fascinating. Okay. Um, God, I, I wonder if, I guess just in a UK context, sorry, this is off-piste, right? <laughs> yeah. but I wonder how many of them, do they have a connection to the EU? Um, as a, okay. Yeah, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, my, my, I was doing the kind of research in 20... In, in Europe in 2018-19, so it was around the Brexit times, um, but it would be interesting to follow up now, uh, particularly the kind of uh, European landscape to find out. Yeah, okay. Um, before we dive into the pandemic, do you just want to explain what vaccine hesitancy is? Yeah, sure. So, so in general, uh, vaccine hesitancy means that despite there being vaccines readily available, so, like, in other words, there's stock, you know, you could go out and get a vaccine relatively easily. Um, so to say that somebody would be hesitant means that they would delay their decision in having it done or their acceptance in having a vaccine, or they could just outright refuse. And um, previous research has done quite a good job at finding out that there's vaccine hesitancy is typically more profound in various groups of people and this can be compounded so for example women 
are typically more hesitant, as are black Africans um, compared with other ethnicities. There's research which shows that people who are unemployed, those who have lower incomes, lower education, also younger people are more likely to be hesitant. Um, so, you know, we were thinking about this when we were doing our research project and we, we looked at some of the research which had already been conducted. And this might have come up in previous podcasts, but, you know, some of the most common reasons for, for refusing a vaccine or, or being hesitant was um, just being against, I guess, vaccines in general. So when the COVID-19 vaccine came around, it was already like an extension of this pre-built belief that, you know, well, I've, I've didn't want them before, I'm not having it now. There's, you know, there was concerns about the safety of the vaccine. People were worried about the trials, thinking that, you know, they presented some danger because they thought it had been rushed and it might not have gone through the right procedures. Um, then there's the people who thought that, well, COVID doesn't actually pose a real harm. Um, they didn't think it was, you know, a harmful virus disease. So uh, they didn't think it was very effective to have it. Uh, and then you've got people who just lack trust in the vaccine because of like widely spread conspiracies or misinformation. So, you know, the 5G cell towers or Bill Gates microchipping them to control the population in somehow. Um, or, and then there's other people uh, who might be hesitant because they, they doubt how efficient it is. So some people might have had one bout of the vaccine and then they get COVID and then they become ill and then they say, well, I'm still ill with COVID, so what good was the vaccine? It didn't do any good to me. Um, and, th and then on the other side, there's people who think that they've already been immunised by COVID uh, or like herd immunity, so they don't need to have it. So that was our kind of starting point, um, knowing that actually there's different groups of people who are more hesitant and, you know, looking at some of the, the reasons as why. Okay, great. How interesting. And something just came to mind while you were talking. Did in your study, did you, and we can kind of get into the details of that, but in your study, and I guess in your research on this theme of work in general, do you draw a distinction between, say, vaccine hesitancy? So I've heard people that kind of, they, they might be convinced and then people who are kind of outright anti-vaccine, they're just, they're unlikely to ever take a vaccine or yeah. is it to the broad spectrum that you're interested in? Ours was a broad spectrum, right? So we, we'd asked our participants if they'd already taken it um, and then before taking it, how willing they were, you know, how accepting they were of taking it. And if not, you know, would they be willing or accepting and possibly in the future? So it was on like a Likert scale. Um, so, so we were interested in the, yeah, the broad range of people. Okay, great. And so turning to your, to your methods, I mean, it sounds really interesting. How, I mean, how did you, how did you carry out the survey and how many responses did you have and how did you promote it and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks. So I worked on this with um, my colleagues, uh, Professor Laurent Schultz, who's, who's based in Norway, um, and Dr. Justin Lane, who's in Slovakia. Um, so we set out a few questions, initial questions, just to find out how uh, willing people were to take the vaccine and how much knowledge they believed they had on the vaccines. And we were interested in whether social media had any kind of impact in the role of hesitancy. So, so initially we sent, we, we, we piloted a survey um, and we sent out to some friends and family and some people to test it. Um, but then we uploaded it onto a platform called uh, Prolific, uh, where we paid for a representative sample of people. So it was sent out to various people and they were paid some money to do it. 
Um, so we ended up with um, 500 people from that, and in, in total, um, 537 people. Yeah, so it was all kind of. Oh wow! So quite a large survey then. Yeah, it, it, well, it, we paid the company to to have a representative sample, so it meant that of the 500 people, you know, there was a good degree of people with different ages, different ethnicities, different religious beliefs, different political beliefs. So, yeah, we could sample it like that. Okay, and so, so what did you discover? Uh, so, well, it might be we were, various buckets here. <laughs> there's a few buckets, but I mean, we were interested in the kind of eagerness and willingness and hesitance to take this uh, global COVID-19 vaccine. So um, we asked people how uh, much knowledge they th thought they had on, on the various different vaccines. Um, but we chucked two red herrings in the mix. So so we, we added two vaccines and we said that these vaccines were made in the USA. Um, Theranos, which is, you know, a, a, which was a fake vaccine, and Medicare, also a fake vaccine. Uh, but we said that they were made in the USA. Um, so that was kind of something that we added in just to, you know, see where that would go. Uh, but we, we found actually that most of our participants were um, fairly willing to take the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. So nearly 90% of our participants would take it. And just shy of 90%, uh, 88 would take the Pfizer um, vaccine. So generally, hesitancy was quite low, right? Um, but these are substantially higher than those who would take the Russian or the Chinese vaccine. So, so we asked them about the Sputnik vaccine, which was being developed. And only 37% of our participants said that they would take it if it became available in the UK. And the Chinese one... Um, the same, 37%, roughly 37, 38% would take it. So there's a, a big difference between taking a vaccine that was, you know, developed in England or Europe or, or the West uh, compared to Chinese, uh, to China or Russia. Um, so good for our participants that they were able to um, spot the, the fake vaccines. Um, so, so only 10 to 15% of the population said that they were knowledgeable about these vaccines, not very knowledgeable. So some people, you know, they might have thought, well, I've heard of these things. Medicare was, you know. Yeah, right. Medicare is a huge kind of brand, yeah, right? If you study exactly. US politics, right? Yeah. <laughs> or if you're, even if you just follow kind of debates around healthcare. So. Exactly. And Theranos was a med medical company and it's like now debunked as a big kind of fraud thing. But, you know, they might have heard of these things. So 10 to 15% said they're, well, you know, they're knowledgeable about these. Uh, but 85 to 90 percent said that they've never heard of them. So, you know, good on our sample that they were able to, um, to, to spot that. citizenry. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes we have like social desirability in surveys, right, where you think, well, I, I must have heard of that. So they might increase the number of people saying that they sure. have. Um, but no, good for them. They, they said that they hadn't. Um, so despite this, um, most individuals would still take the vaccines that don't actually exist. So 57% of our of our um, participants said that they would take a vaccine made by Medicare and 55% would take the fake vaccine made by Theranos, even though... So 20% more than the Russian and the Chinese one, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, 20% more. So even though they've never... They've rightly said that they've never heard of it, they would still take it. Um, which is quite interesting, I think, because it speaks to kind of geopolitics, kind of like things. Yeah, going... right. There's a bigger. My next question was going to be 
Yeah. How, did, were you able? I mean, so these were participants in the UK, right? Yes. So yeah. were you able to tease out? Did it, like any kind of qualitative comments indicate why people might be hesitant to take the Russian or the Chinese one? No, no, unfortunately not. We didn't have a big kind of qualitative section. And if we were to do it again, that would be something that we would definitely follow up with or follow up with interviews, right? Because that would, um, like, you know, importantly, we, we did this uh, study before the war in Ukraine. Sure. Um, but, but the tensions were still there, right? So um, it, I, I can't imagine how it would, you know, increase now and probably would decrease but, but some qualitative data, if anyone's listening and thinking, oh, I want to follow up with this and do some research. Get in touch. You know, please, yeah, please do. You know, I'd love to love to follow up with this. Yeah, okay. All right, brilliant. And um, so turn into kind of the, I guess, the, the generalizability or the kind of the larger implications. Have you got any, now you've had a, it's been published or... Um, paper and you've had a bit of time to reflect on it um have you got any ideas of what some broader implications of your research might be looking forward yeah like one of the things i mentioned earlier was we were interested in social media consumption um and you know if, if you've seen any kind of misinformation uh, about the covid vaccine hesitancy or you know you're on facebook or social media whatever it might be i'm, I'm sure you would have so we were interested in that um so one of the findings that did come out of the study from the survey is that social media does have an effect on perceived knowledge about vaccines as well as vaccine hesitancy. We found Instagram to have a, well, Instagram users, not, not necessarily a platform, but Instagram users were generally more anti-vax um, depending on like high Instagram use. Um, and we found like Twitter users had a kind of particularly concerning effect because um, it's Twitter users felt that they were not more that they were more knowledgeable about several vaccines, and you think might think well actually this sounds like a really good thing like Twitter users say that they're more knowledgeable, but it also indicated more willingness to take fictive or fraudulent vac vaccines that we'd um, created. You made up yeah. that we made up right. So sometimes you know having more knowledge about something or, or feeling perceived like you've got more knowledge necessarily isn't always a good thing. Um, particularly if that's kind of taking you down a road of taking something that doesn't exist, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, healthcare is important and vaccines yeah. can be great, but you don't want to just take whatever someone says. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, right. We need to be sceptical, engaged and sceptical as consumers. Of, well, I don't know if can, are we consumers of healthcare? I don't know. That's a, another problematic, another discussion. Sure, but, but I mean, we, uh, we have a choice, like, though, don't we? Yeah, medicine, right? We have agency, right, within our healthcare yeah. to, to refuse or, or want stuff. And, and being more knowledgeable about something, you say, well, brilliant, you know, that, that's giving you more choice. But then if you're, you know, still more likely to take a vaccine that doesn't exist, and, and maybe, you know, it was a bit of a tricky question because they might have just assumed it was made in the USA, but well, we told them it was made in the USA, but they might have assumed that it had gone through the rigorous kind of testing and trials and therefore it would be safe. So they might have made that assumption, uh, but it was still an assumption, right? Because they, they didn't know for sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. So we can add add that to uh, Elon Musk's list of to-do things for when he yeah. <laughs> takes over when Twitter. When takes over, exactly. You'll have a long list, but hopefully that's number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, if you could deal with uh, 
Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. We'll send him an email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Josh, um, before we wrap up, was there any kind of further points you wanted to make or anything um, to add? Yeah, I think like the point about Russia and China is kind of interesting. So it, it seems that like the anxiety surrounding COVID-19 pandemic makes people take vaccines that they actually know nothing about, right, because they don't exist. Uh, but wary of taking vaccines that are real, but produced by countries outside of the UK, and, and particularly the, the countries that we focus on, Russia and China. So, so it speaks to more about this kind of entangled geopolitic political tensions which exist. Um, and it, it presents this kind of like stark reality and, and to put it in other terms, like, or, or just very basically, like the, the, maybe the key finding was that someone in the UK may rather take a vaccine made by the USA that they've never heard of than take one from Russia and China. And, and thus it becomes like a question of trust, I guess. We, we trust yeah, sure. things which are made by us. And that's probably why Oxford AstraZeneca scored so highly in our survey, because it's, it's homegrown, you know, it was done in... Yeah, in yeah it's been country. on the news, it's... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so it becomes a question of trust um, and it relates to like anxiety and fear then against things which aren't made by us and, and why that might be bad. Yeah, okay. Just out of interest, and you might not know the answer to this, but speaking to the two, to the vaccines from Russia and China, do you have any idea like how effective they are? Like, is that data available or is it, is it like quite opaque and it's like a black box, we don't know what's inside? No, I, th I think there was some studies on this. Um, I don't think that they were that effective. I haven't actually followed up since um, since we were doing this study, but they they weren't as as effect as effective as um, the Oxford AstraZeneca. So maybe there was something to do with that. That you know they wouldn't take it because they'd also read something that you know maybe it's not as effective. But I do think it speaks to kind of wider tensions around the geopolitical. Oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, absolutely. Okay. All right. Josh, thanks so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure and fascinating. And there's clearly lots more to um, explore here. So if you are working on similar things, um, get in touch with Josh. He's on, you're on Twitter, right? I'm on Twitter, yeah. And you, 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 can, you can find my university profile and there's a link to the to the paper there, which is open access, which you can read. And yeah, thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. And uh, here's to another hundred, right? Maybe I could be your 200th uh, Yeah, sure. Podcast. Absolutely. Get in touch. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, get in touch. I'll see you on the corridor. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much.